Welcome to the Building Creativity Podcast by Partners in Post. Join us now for an episode with our special guest, Alan Blakely, one of America's premier architectural photographers. It's great to meet you. Uh, I'm really excited to hear your story. Um, you're obviously kind of a, one of these guests that we've been excited to have on because you're related to Collins, who, who works with us and we all enjoy very much. So um, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. I appreciate that. Yeah, I was wondering if you could just kind of give us um, a background on like who you are and how you got here. You're obviously a very um, successful photographer. You've had multiple uh, companies. So I'm super curious on, you know, some of your experiences in building those and obviously okay. ex excited about hearing uh, how it was to raise Collins and uh, have him be a part <laughs> of the process at different points. Okay. I've worked as a photographer since I was a teenager. Um, I started out uh, working for a newspaper at 14. And so that's kind of where I got my start. Photography's never been a hobby for me. So um, I don't get real excited about gear and um, those kinds of things. I'm not one to sit down and, and, and talk about, uh, you know, specs on a, on a piece of gear. Um, it's, it just is what it is. And I just use it as a tool. So um, I, like I started out in, uh, in photojournalism, but um, I didn't enjoy that. That that wasn't to me. That wasn't something that was very creative. It was more just about running hard enough to get the shot. And um, I could tell that those who had done it a long time were pretty beat up and worn out. And so I, I didn't see that as a as a good road. And so I I had the idea that I wanted to go into commercial photography, but um, there was this nagging feeling that I needed to have a real job and get a, you know, finish my education. And so I actually graduated in advertising and advertising communications and worked in an advertising agency for a while. Got it. And, and absolutely hated every minute of it. So <laughs> wait, 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 can you do, walk me through that a little bit? So you, you get this job advertising agency, how did it like, you know, not meet your, your expectations at the time? Well, I, I think that for me, um, and I didn't learn this until at that time. The appeal for photography was the fact that there was um, a lot of independence. And it was generally a situation where you worked on your own and you created things on your own. And it wasn't by committee and there wasn't a uh, an office culture per se and those sort of things. You know, I may see the editor in passing when I was at the newspaper or, um, you know, one of the writers or something like that. But in an advertising agency, it was a lot more structure than I was used to. And I didn't handle that very well. Um, I, um, I just really hated it. And um, while I was in a, a creative role, generally, the creativity was all pretty well managed. And so um, it was creativity by committee rather than something that was, you know, more of an individual kind of thing. And I get that. I understand that. So it just wasn't a good fit for me. And, uh, and so I ended up back in photography in, in commercial photography and uh, as opposed to retail photography, which is portraits and weddings and, and those kinds of really unpleasant things. Yeah, commercial photography is basically ad, uh, photography to advertise and market a business or a product. 
And so my clients initially were uh, all advertising agencies who had clients of their own. And they would bring me in, an art director would bring me in to create photographs for an advertising campaign. And my advertising contacts were actually a big asset at that point when I when I did decide to open a studio. Um, I, I knew all the art directors, and this was when I was in Salt Lake City. My, you know, my base was in Salt Lake City, and that was generally my market. And so I, I set up a studio. I had three different studios over a course of twenty five years, and and did, um, you know, people and products, and um, did a lot of food photography, you know, product photography, those kinds of things. Did you have any experience um, and, running opening a business, or was that kind of learning as you go? No, it was just just kind of learning as I as I went, and um, I think the eye opener uh, for me early on in college, and this is why I left the photography program I was in at the university I was attending, was that um, nobody there had bothered to say that if you're going to be a photographer, you're going to end up being a small businessman as well. You're going to be <laughs> self employed uh, unless you work for a newspaper or a magazine or something like that, and so. Uh, the program itself was just really lacking in in business um, uh, classes and and building business skills, which I, I think are as uh, at least for me are as important as photography skills in this business. So it's still common. You you look at a lot of these 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 uh, school programs, and they're kicking out a lot of creatives, but it's like they're only focusing on kind of the fundamentals of the craft. And it right. seems like the business side is at least 50%, if not more. <laughs> it is. Um, I've seen some really creative people go out of business. Uh, I mean, this happened during the last recession, uh, 08, 09. I saw, in, in fact, it just decimated the Salt Lake City market where, where I live. Um, there were a lot of photographers who had been very successful and had wonderful studios, and they just could not make it because their business skills uh, weren't up to par and uh, nothing against them, but it, it just was a tough market. If you didn't know how to handle a business, you were uh, in, a, in a world of hurt and that was the end of it. And so a lot of them ended up in other careers as, uh, as a result of that. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. Like, how did you make pivots? It sounds like you've had a few studios over the past 25 years. I'm curious, like what kind of made some of those, those pivots, um, were they big business decisions or were they just different like geographies? You know, what was, uh, what was some of the evolution? Well, I, I think that the, the direction changes that we made were very deliberate. Um, initially I knew that there was business to be had if I was to work, uh, open a commercial studio and work with advertising agencies. And really uh, what it took for me was taking my portfolio and going out for a week, knocking on doors and I had business. And so that worked out really well. And that sustained me through, you know, the, the early mid nineties. And, and that was at a point where, uh, people were rethinking what they were doing. Uh, as far as hiring advertising agencies towards the late 90s. And you saw a big shift in uh, businesses and uh, international and national brands moving their advertising in-house. And so these giant agencies that were making a fortune, uh, all of a sudden were losing substantial and, and primary clients. And so, uh, you know, a company that's spending... 10 or 50 or a hundred thousand dollars a month with an advertising agency 
suddenly asked themselves, um, you know, can't we do this in-house? And the thing that made that possible was the change in technology that had developed over that time. Um, before that time, it wasn't really possible just from a technological standpoint. People didn't have the skills. Everything was analog. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you didn't have somebody in Communication was different. Yeah. Oh, my God. And so when, when it got to the point where people could buy Macintosh computers and Adobe software, they started to th rethink how they were doing their advertising. And a lot of brands still used advertising agencies, but they weren't using them for everything. And so as a result, I saw my business drop off and I knew that I had to make an adjustment there. And so at that point, I began to go directly to businesses and mm. uh, do business with them directly uh, with their marketing people and, and agent. And, skip you know, skip the agency. ad agencies. Right. Yeah. So my business with ad agencies pretty much dried up, um, you know, by 2000. Wow. Um, Every once in a while, I will get one. Um, you know, we we did we did one last summer, which was for a big agency out of the out of Chicago, um, and that was great. But it's just it's very few and far between right now. So, um, and it was about that time when digital technology for photography was really coming into its own around two thousand two thousand two time. And that was changing my market as well, because um, there there was the attitude of, well, can't we just buy a camera and, <laughs> and have somebody, you know, in marketing do the photography for us? And I, I hear that a lot too. Yeah. So we had to contend with that as well, and so my brand had to somehow define the fact that it's not about the camera; um, it was about what I was bringing to the brand, and not not what what camera I had. And to this day, you see photographers whose websites list their equipment yeah, um, and videographers as well. Yeah. <laughs> as if that has crutch, anything to do with sure. anything. Yeah, yeah. I always tell my team, like I would rather have someone who knows their camera, whatever that camera is, than someone who's new with the best, the best thing out there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, you know, years ago, there was a, a photographer by the name of Dean Collins who uh, he made, uh, quite a career for himself doing workshops and things like that. But um, at the end of the day, I got to know Dean just a little bit. And he said, you know, really, I'm teaching all this stuff about all this lighting and, and all these things. And it, if you really know what you're doing, all you really need is a 60 watt bulb and a bed sheet, and you can do pretty much anything <laughs> you need to do. And so really, it's just not about the equipment. The best people to learn from, you know, who can yeah. make anything work with whatever they have. Tell me a little bit about this. Um, I'm super curious about transformation and that must've been a scary time. Ad agencies, your biggest clients dropping off, just trying to make a pivot. Um, what did that feel like? Was that a nervous time for you? It was, um, uh, especially when it got, uh, about around 08. Um, and I probably made one of my biggest business uh you know, bad, my worst bad business decisions in 08. And that was when I decided to build a really big new studio. And I built a, bi a big studio in the Salt Lake City area in the summer of 08. And by the fall of 08, uh, it was almost like somebody had just flipped a switch and my business just dropped almost to zero um, as far as studio, studio work. And the only thing that was sustaining me was architectural photography. 
And so even though I had this big brand new studio, there was nobody coming there and I could not get them to come there. And uh, nor could anyone else um, in this market really either. So my wife and I made made the decision to um, concentrate on architectural photography and expand our, our base from a Utah market to a national market. And so we just made a very deliberate effort to contact national brands, large architectural firms, design firms, uh, contractors, construction companies, and things like that. And it didn't come fast, but that did save everything. And so I just waited out the five-year lease and closed the studio at the end of the five years and uh, moved my business home. And we've been working just out of a home office ever since then. That is such uh, a, a huge pivot, um, especially after making such a large investment. That must have been uh, a courageous time for you, your family. Um, I've heard this a lot, though, like uh, the idea of niches to riches and finding your niche and really um, kind of making a name for yourself, going from a local market to a nationwide market. Um yeah, tell me about that. You said it, d- it didn't happen fast, so I imagine you know a few years of like building, kind of your your name and kind of rebranding yourself. We moved away from identifying ourselves as um, a Utah business, and instead, uh, the focus of the brand would it was that I was an American architectural photographer, and for most people, that was an easy thing to understand and feel comfortable hiring me regardless of whether or not they knew where I lived physically in the country or not. And a lot of my clients still may not know that I, you know, I own a home in, in Utah, but that's not where my work is primarily. And uh, so that was difficult. And I sent, you know, I used uh, mass email as uh, my primary marketing tool at that point. And so I was sending out targeted emails on a regular basis. And I had my uh, advertising background gave me the advantage of sending uh, email, which I think was well composed and looked good and was interesting and, and creative and didn't look like a photographer designed it. So that was helpful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was probably kind of in the earlier days of you know, mass email marketing. Mm-hmm. Good for you for for getting out there. I'm, I want to. I don't know when to dive in, but I kind of wanted to ask, what was it like, you know, raising a family at that time? And Collins, I'm not sure what age Collins was at 2008, but um, he he's he's always spoken in his interview and just you know every day about how much he's learned from you growing up with you and um, just picking up stuff along the way. I'm curious what that was like for you, like raising Collins and um, maybe including him on some of the projects. I mean, I've been self-employed since before Collins was born. And so um, he's never known anything except me being a a self-employed photographer, a commercial photographer. And so uh, I was concerned along the way that uh, he might get the idea that this is what everybody's job looked like. Everybody's dad's job. (laughs) Um, That if I wanted to work in my bathrobe at home, that was fine. and that was before the days of remote working. And uh, so I'm not sure he had a real accurate idea of, of what real jobs were like, but um, he had some jobs on his own growing up. They gave him that, you know, that idea. 
But I did include he and his sister very early on in photo shoots and tried to get them to help understand the, the decisions that go into a creative process. And so I did, you know, I would take them on a photo shoot and I would say, you know, what's the next shot? What do you see? Um, and I, they probably hated it. But um, after a while, they seemed to catch on to the fact that this wasn't something that was just well-defined. And I had learned from a book as to you go into a, a building and this, these are the shots, you know, one through ten, that you have to go in and create something from nothing. And so I think that was... That was probably wor worthwhile for them, um, you know, and, and of course, he got to do things like, you know, fly in the front seat of a helicopter and, you know, fl fly first class <laughs> around the country and those kinds of things. And so, um, yeah, he got to see things pretty well hands-on, like, um, like most people would never see commercial photography like that unless they were a photographer or assisting in a photographer. So... Um, I think he got a pretty good idea of what these kind of, I mean, this industry and as it spills into your industry looks like. You know, I'm, I'm always curious about that, like how to foster creativity in people in general. But, you know, oftentimes it rolls into our kids or, you know, our employees if we have them. And uh, yeah, I mean, both your daughter and your son both are now in creative fields, which is, you know, it says a lot. They probably got a big leg up. Um, you know, having that experience, kind of getting some of those very early kind of mentorship opportunities, you know, even if they hated it along the way. <laughs> well, um, see, my thought was that eventually one of them would end up being a photographer. Right. And uh, that did not happen. So, and I'm happy with where they are and, and glad that they chose something that was interesting to them rather than just following along in a family business, which they may not have felt fulfilled in. Yeah. I mean, that's always like tricky. My, my dad had a company growing up when I was a kid and he was doing all kinds of IT systems. And it was like, I would help him every once in a while, I'd go to a dental office and we'd be like networking computers together. And I think he was wondering, you know, if I would, you know, catch the bug and take it over one day, but I, I didn't. Yeah. Like you said, as long as I guess they're happy and fulfilled, that's all that matters. Yeah. And I think, I think, um, the fact that I exposed them to a creative process was probably the most important part of it all. I don't think that they would have ended up in the fields that they're in had they not had that exposure early on. Because it's so foreign and it's not something that is taught in school. And uh, I'm sure in your company, people find their way there through really strange routes. Um, it, it's just not not a direct route like you know, going through accounting school and ending up as a CPA at Deloitte or something like that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, we, we have kind of a yeah, wide variety of, of different paths. And it seems like, you know, everyone has their own journey, um, you know, beyond this as well. I kind of see people on many different kind of trajectories. Um, mm -hmm. It's not as maybe common as it used to be having like a, a singular linear uh, career journey. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, um, it's not at all what I grew up with in my family, as far as my parents and uh, my dad. So, and, and they're still concerned, even though they're, you know, in their late eighties now that I have a real job. <laughs> so how am I going to pay the bills? 
Oh my God. It, it, they're still concerned. That's, that's maybe comforting for a lot of, uh, you know, entrepreneurs <laughs> to hear that, mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't go away. So don't try yeah. to, don't try to, you know, appease no. them too much. No, no, not at all. That's hilarious. <laughs> Um, so yeah, like what's, what's next for you? Like, uh, are you happy with where you're at with your career, with the size of your company? Are you planning to scale and grow or are like, what's, what are your, some of your goals for your, um, architecture photography company? I'll back up just a little bit. Um, about 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago, I, I started another company, uh, which is a professional organization, uh, the association of independent architectural photographers. And, um, an online uh, professional organization that basically serves as a directory for photography buyers to find photographers throughout the country, uh, throughout the world, actually. Uh, we added a real estate group um, about 10 years after that, and then an aerial photography group a couple years after that. So I have these three organizations that I run. And I, I, I probably will continue to run those um, after I stop shooting. Um, just because they're easy to run. And I think that they serve a good purpose to, to drive a business to photographers that may be struggling just a little bit, especially in some parts of the country where it's really tough to be an architectural photographer. And so I'll continue those. But um, our, photography is really tough to scale at all. I mean, this type of work that I do, I've had, I don't know, 15 or 20 assistants along the way. Um, none of whom I could really have as a second shooter. Um, and then people that I have hired as second shooters, there's always that concern that they're going to try to snipe the client. And uh, <laughs> so it's just something that, you know, the, the, as far as photography, that, that I'm the company really. And so there's not anything to sell or pass on or, or scale necessarily. It's just, a matter of how long you want to keep doing it. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's really interesting um, that you've also found a way to kind of give back to the community and create, um, create kind of a more supported group for people in your in your shoes that are maybe twenty years younger. You know, when we started the architectural group, that was in '01, and uh, honestly, most of the people that joined at that time were about my age. And so they've kind of aged through this process. We haven't seen a lot of new photographers come in. There's kind of a shift in the industry happening. We see a lot, we see a lot of real estate photographers in that group. And that, that turns over quite quickly. Yeah, there's a lot of churn in the membership there. And the aerial photography is the same way with, and these are drone photographers primarily. Um, but there's not a lot of new photographers going into architecture and that's kind of a concern you've seen the trends you you've been in you know you're like you have a very good pulse on what's going on what are some of these changes that you're seeing in the photography space in general there seems to be a big split in the market of photography buyers there are those who who understand the value of good photography and are willing to pay for it and are seeking out photographers that do really excellent work and uh, they pay them a good price to do it. But then there's another portion of the market, which I have to say is the majority of the market, that it's more about price than it's about anything else. And really what they're looking for is a photographer with a wide lens who can turn things around quickly. 
And these are the guys who don't have a lot of experience and, um, you know, the, the, really the uh, crux of their technique is to stand in a corner and get as much square footage as possible. <laughs> so um, that's the, that's pretty much it. There's not a lot of people that are looking to, to do excellent work anymore. And I think that that goes across the board um, with a lot of these industries. Yours is like that. I think, um, you know, both video and sound and, and things like that. I see that a lot. Well, yeah, we just get a lot more people in the industry in general. And so you just, you know, your pool of beginners is huge now. Whereas before, you know, just to get a system that could edit video, you know, that that was such a kind of barrier to entry. It kind of filtered out people who went to film school at the very least, you know, and now you've Mm -hmm. got everybody has got a niece or nephew that can take photos or edit video. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it it seems to me that they... Uh, the standard for learning these kinds of things is YouTube. Right. So um, people will go to YouTube and, and think that they understand and are, are competent and, and capable of doing professional work. When in reality, the people on YouTube, by my estimation, it's the, you know, 99% could not make it as, professional whatever it is that they're talking about they're selling a course uh, on it but yeah yeah um these are guys and well women, women and men who who don't have the aptitude or the experience to really do excellent work but yet they're speaking from a, a position of authority and i so i think that there's um there's a disconnect there when people go in tr- trying to learn these things they're not seeking out people who actually know how to teach this craft. Um, years ago, I used to have people want to assist me for free all the time, just so that they could learn. And especially back in the days when I was shooting film, because technically it was so much more difficult to get an image on film, uh, an architectural image, especially. But I don't have anybody anymore <laughs> who wants to come and work with me because they've watched the video you know, on YouTube. And so, um, they seem to think that they know it all. And the the sad part of that is that there's this professional um, aptitude that they have no idea even exists. And so I think it's unfortunate, but it's kind of dumbed the industry down. And, and as a result, there's a wider than ever gap between those who know how to do it well and those who don't. Has that been challenging in the way that you market yourself? Or has you, have you found that kind of just creates a distinction between you and the rest of the field? Well, I, I initially was concerned about it and thought that was something I needed to address head on. And I, I've come to realize that um, my best strategy is to raise my prices and, um, you know, speak from a position of trying to educate customers and potential customers about what good photography is and what the benefit of it is. Uh, I mean, David Ogilvy, the the advertising guru from the 1950s and 60s, uh, he would always say that uh, that market leadership is usually defined by somebody who d- chooses to educate uh, the public. And so I've I've kind of taken that idea that uh, if I if I try to teach people and give away information, that they will perceive that there is a difference. That I I do know what I'm doing more than somebody else, and then I've raised my prices. Um, 
And that has not slowed business down. If anything, it's, it's made, it's given me more business. I'm busier now than I've ever been in my career. That's like a really difficult place to be at. Um, I think everyone wants to raise their prices and everyone's afraid that uh, by doing so, we're going to, you know, basically not be reachable by our current clients and, and future clients. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always like that risk. And um, yeah. I think like if you have the skills, the talents, the expertise, the passion, the dedication in order to, you know, claim that value, then it makes a lot of sense to take that risk. I think that's a hard decision for a business though. I really do. Because there's, there's a lot of risk. If it goes south, it hurts everybody. <laughs> I remember when I was... Um, I was a freelancer and I was working with a big corporate client and I was feeling burnt out. I was like four years in working by myself. And I was like, you know what? I really need to hire a team if I'm able mm. to, you know, continue doing this and uh, keep my sanity. And they were on board with it. And I was like, great. Well, what that means is I'm going to have to triple my prices. And you have to give me, you know, three times as much work as you normally to have, you know? And, <laughs> but I got to the point where I was, you know, I was, I was sick, you know, and tired of um, oh, yeah. the situation. And I was like, this is what I need to be healthy. And I was so shocked at how excited and willing they were to adjust and adapt. Mm. And they stayed with us. And, you know, we're still one of our largest clients, which was just like a really refreshing thing to, to do. But it was also extremely difficult. I was terrified. I thought, you know, this might be it. <laughs> I understand that. Yeah, I absolutely understand that. Uh, what's happened as a result of me doing that, though, is that my clientele has changed um, and I don't do a lot of work in my local marketplace, right. which is the Salt Lake City metro area. Uh, most of my work is in the larger metro areas around the country. Yeah. So. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that's where they have the, the bigger budgets. And like oftentimes I find that these corporations that have budget for, you know, experts, um, they don't have time to waste and they don't want to take on risk. And so they're willing to pay the premium to basically reduce the risk. They're not, they're, they're going to get exactly what they need to do what it is they need to do on time. And it'll be probably at that budget that we've already agreed to. I think that's, that's a really uh, key point is that they don't want to have to worry. They want to just hire you and be done with it. And that to me is one of the biggest factors in, in why I get hired for certain jobs. Um, I don't, I, it used to be that I would reshoot a lot of jobs where somebody had tried to go with a less expensive photographer and, and things didn't work out. And so they would bring me back in. That happens less and less anymore. I'm being hired to do it right the first time and they're willing to pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are the clients you want to, because um, that's where your expertise comes into play um, and you provide the value, you know, that they, that they, that they need really. So, yeah. Right. Congratulations. Thank you. You too. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. That's kind of all the stuff I wanted to touch on. Um, how could people reach you and, and kind of find out more about you and what you're doing? Probably my website's the best point of contact for me and that's alanblakely.com nice and um, what are the names of those organizations again that you started in case some photographers want to join well the acronyms uh the first one is aiap and that's the association of independent architectural photographers that's at aiap.net and then uh, real estate photographers of america and that's realestatephotographers.org 
And then the Aerial Drone Photographers of America, and that's aerialdronephotographers.com. Awesome. Those three organizations. And we they have um, you know, they have an online community, so to speak, Facebook pages as well as as different interactive kinds of things. And we also do podcasts uh, for those organizations. The podcast is called The Photographer's Life, and those those are scripted to a certain point. <laughs> we have a we have a topic that we're supposed to be talking about, but those that appears on YouTube on our YouTube channel and then on oh cool on all of the other podcast channels uh, as a photographer's life. So is that all just uh, one photographer to another, kind of diving into all the things that interest you, or it is uh, usually we'll have a group of photographers anywhere from you know say ten to thirty photographers mm. um, on a podcast. And we'll 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 choose a topic ahead of time and then speak to that. And um, just to I think it more from an educational standpoint for the rest of the organization to see, because it's usually the top photographers that end up having the courage to get on there and talk about themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and so the rest of the rest of the photographers are there to find out what what really the truth is. And yeah, uh, so it has a lot of educational value, I think one kind of last question I have for you, you know, you've done this for a long time. Um, how are you staying passionate? How are you kind of keeping your edge? Well, I try to see um, in every project I do, if there's something I can do a little better. Um, and as a result, my technique is, it is continually evolving. I don't shoot things the same way now that I did a year ago, even. Um, and as an aside from that, I do take on, I do personal projects from time to time. If, if I'm somewhere and the time permits, I will go photograph something just because I want to photograph it and on my terms and, and, and do it that way. And so I, I photographed a lot of historic theaters around the country in, in that kind of a situation. Um, and, uh, you know, a variety of subjects, just things that interest me personally that may never see daylight, but that just are simulating creatively and keep me interested in this craft. So this is just a passion. Like this is, this goes deep. You don't, you're not having to rekindle the fire. Is, is this just like constantly burning for you? Well, I think it is. Um, I, it's never really felt like a job to me. Mm. Um, I didn't see myself really as as having this type of career at the front end of things um i spent some time in the music business and i thought that's where my passion was and i decided after a few years no that's not where my passion is <laughs> but i still have you know a music studio here at the house and a room full of instruments but uh photography is just something that i just find continually fascinating and I, I'm always trying to find a way to do it better or different or, you know, something like that. As long as we're continually adapting and learning and growing, um, we're going to be uh, on that front edge. It's like, as soon as you think you have all the answers, you know, that's when it's your, your, your kind of uh, lifespan is limited in the industry. I think so. Um, and I think, I think you have to look at it from a personal standpoint that I'm not going to be a better photographer or better whatever um, if I buy, you know, such and such a thing. It's if I, if I myself figure out a way to use what I've got in a different and better way. I think to me, that's, that's key to 
continuing to grow. It's it's not that I've got the new Canon lens or you know something like that. If if you could give advice to yourself, uh, let's say back in the early days, I don't know what when we want to go. Maybe like early two thousands. Um, mm-hmm. what, what what advice do you think you'd give to yourself? I would probably say to fire more clients early. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. Can you go into that a little bit? I mean, um, I use that term every once in a while in a podcast and people seem shocked when I say, well, you need to fire that client. And, and I, I really feel that we need to not do business with people that are not helping our career. Um, there's no obligation there either real or perceived. And, there are people that are just difficult to work with um, and that will always be difficult to work with. I've never had a bad client that became a good client. Mm. So if we get in a situation, my wife works with me, she's a set stylist and, and we work together and travel together. And if we get in a situation where neither of us is having a good time, we're not going to work with them again. <laughs> mm. So this life's too short. And I, I think I worried too much about, you know, I don't want to lose that client. So I'll do this for them and oh, try to make him happy. And yeah. um, it's just not worth it. Oh my God. This is, um, this is so, so beautiful because it is maybe one of the hardest things to do if you've never done it before. Um, <laughs> typically we're like, okay, what do I need to do to turn it around? How, how much do exactly. I need to bend over for this guy? And yeah, mm-hmm. what, 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 what would I got to do? And it is an energy suck. Um, can you walk me through the first client or maybe one of the first clients you've, you actually fired and what that was like for you? Yeah. Um, the first one that I ever really did that with was, was probably 30 years ago. And um, it, it was when I had a studio and it was a client that did um, hair pieces for men. They were to pay and wig manufacturer. And um, they got behind on their uh, invoices. And at that point, you know, everybody was net 30 days, uh, which I don't know why I ever did that. You know, I would deliver stuff and, and I was still holding the bag on the film and processing and they were taking 30 or 60 or 90, especially with the, in the case of an ad agency, maybe even 120 days to pay me. Anyway, um, they had gotten behind and I had, I had called a couple times and spoken with the accounting department and they had put me off. And finally, I called and asked for the owner. And he said, I'm not going to pay you. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there were some words exchanged, which I probably don't want to put on your podcast. And um, he said, you're, you're just not going to get paid. And so I hung up and I went down and filed suit against him um, that afternoon. And so the suit came, um, small claims court. He didn't show up, of course, and I was given a judgment. And anybody that's been through that process knows that that's not the end of it. You then have to figure out a way to collect from these people. And um, I was mad enough that I, I, I went through that process in pretty short order and ended up tying up all his bank accounts. So there was nothing in, nothing out. He couldn't get paid. He couldn't pay anybody. And finally, that got his attention. And, um, and so that was the first one that I ever fired. I got paid. <laughs> I got all my attorneys and court costs out of it. And, uh, and I just decided I'm not going to do that kind of thing again. And I, I run into that a little bit now with people who are infringing my photographs. 
Um, I've a year ago, I hired a third party to take care of all of those infringements, of which I found out there were thousands. And inevitably, when somebody is uh, contacted by the company that I use, that I'll get an email from them back saying, can't you just take care of this and make this go away? And we, by the way, we've got a new project coming up that we'd really like to have you shoot for us. And you know, <laughs> my, re my response is, no, you have to deal with them and I don't have any availability. So, <laughs> you know, that's just the way it is. But that's such a hard thing to, to just decide not to do business with unpleasant people. You know, you get to a certain size and it gets easier, but I think like having values and maybe kind of writing them down, um, you know, what is, what, what are the values that we hold and what, what do we, what will we not compromise on? What are some like non-negotiables knowing those early and kind of setting those, um, and using those as like that North star, um, to kind of help us make these decisions is really important because it's too easy, especially starting out. Yeah, I can lower the price. Yeah, I can do that in half the time. Yeah, I can, you know, whatever it is, it kind of never ends. So, yeah, it's really tempting, especially, um, you know, if your receivables are down or, uh, but yeah. it never in the end serves you well. Yeah. So sticking, sticking to that criteria of these are the clients we'll do business with. And if they don't meet this criteria, we don't do business with them. That, that in the end, that serves you really well. I think um, thinking about, back about that part where you said, you know, net 30, net 90, net 120, I definitely have had those situations as well. And <laughs> I was I was really surprised, you know, especially if it's like a good client that you've maybe had a couple of good projects with. Um, if you tell them things like, hey, I really need to get this to net 10, you know, or I need 50% mm -hmm. down. A lot of times they're um, totally, um, you know, okay with that like they don't a lot of times they don't really care usually it's just a company policy but if you give them a good a reason a good solution a good game plan a lot of them mm -hmm. are pretty flexible with this sort of stuff um which i found to be like oh man i wish i would have asked that a year ago you know right yeah i, th I think if you just do it as a in a matter of fact way yeah. for me um i'm net i'm 50 percent down and then the net is due on receipt of the deliverables yeah and um, the only time that that's not the case is that a client that I've done business with for a lot of years who's been a prompt 